Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, May fifth, Cinco de Mayo. Sales commission bye bio. My name is Jake Luke, and I am joined by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. What's going on, bud? Not a whole lot. Hope our ladies and germs are getting themselves into some margaritas a little bit later and uh, hitting that up. You know, I will be. So go get that frosty beverage and uh, go go mull over some Ravens draft picks. Go mull over some Alejandro Villanueva, uh, who has a little bit of that. Spanish descent, and I believe spent quite a bit of time in Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, that is not the liberation of Mexico, but uh, got that that little that little Spanish flavor as well. So, Ravens welcome aboard Alejandro Villanueva on a two year deal worth 14 million dollars, up to with eight million guaranteed. Sounds like they basically have a one year deal with an option for a second year at about six million. Uh, something of the sort. So that puts a lot of context to this draft class where the Ravens ultimately did have Villanueva under wraps, it appeared. So how do we feel about it, Jay? I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, we've been talking about this being the move going back even before the draft, you know, and the fact that they sat there throughout the draft, they didn't take a tackle, didn't take a tackle, didn't take a tackle. There was a lot of uh, annoyance, I think, from fans. Uh, but I don't know, at a certain point, like, at what point are you going to be able to grab a starting right tackle in the draft? You know, you can't really count on anything pretty much past the second round at best. So the fact that they passed on developmental guys, I'm kind of fine with it because you've got a couple developmental guys on your roster right now. Tyree Phillips, obviously Bredesen, more of a guard, Powers, more of a guard. But I don't know. It kind of just feels like you've got a couple of those guys in-house. Sign Villanueva, Dennis Kelly's still out there. I doubt they'd make a double dip signing there. But if they chose to do that, it might not be the dumbest thing for depth's sake, I guess. But yeah, maybe a little bit of consternation about the price too. You know, that $8 million tag. I think uh, some people were a, li- a little, it was a little too rich for their blood, but like, where else are you going to get a starting right tackle right now for like anything less than maybe 7 million optimistically? So it kind of is what it yeah, is. Maybe, maybe you save $2 million at the absolute most for someone who started, I believe five consecutive seasons for the most part. 
And it's just kind of funny. Him and Zeitler, both tons of AFC North experience, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, uh, big fellas, athletic guys that are, you know, we, we have an interview with Emery Hunt attached to this and they're talking about, he starts talking about Ben Cleveland and Kevin Zeitler and you can throw Mr. Villanueva in there as well. Guys that don't have a lot of fat on their body. They're not those, you know, big, fluffy, overwhelmingly gigantic uh, kind of DJ Fluker types. And they're going to be able to move. They're going to be able to work some zone concepts and things like that that the Ravens haven't been able to utilize quite as much. And they do have a prolific man gap scheme that they do love so much. But those guys can punch that out well, especially Zeitler is uh, pretty versatile there. So definitely, like you said, where else are you going to find it? And if you go bring in a rookie, there's going to be a learning curve. You know, Jedrick Wills wasn't super sharp last year to start. He ended up having a great season on a great offensive line. But uh, you know, that that turned out really well. It could have gone a lot more sour. Andrew Thomas, the first tackle off the board last year, my offensive tackle won. He really struggled early in the year. So like like you hit on perfectly, you're not going to be able to maybe draft a Tevin Jenkins and, and the likelihood of him immediately coming in and playing at a high level as a rookie is just not super high. Orlando Brown didn't find his way into the starting lineup until, you know, halfway through the year and definitely had some struggles. So tackle is a tough position. And uh, luckily at the same time, you got Lamar Jackson back there. You've got a run-heavy offense, and I think that's going to help Villanueva a lot. Uh, you can find some content on Baltimore Beatdown, some analytics and statistics coming uh, in terms of bounce rate and some stuff like that. But Villanueva basically is just the cherry on top of this draft class to me and feels like they're going to have uh, a pretty complete roster for the most part. Of course, you know, maybe uh, an outside linebacker type, but Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Ryan Kerrigan probably might be on the way. But if not, Ravens have, what, 10, 11 picks next year in their back pocket, and we've known Eric DaCosta to be a real thief, shyster at the trade deadline, waiting it out, going and finding an impact player. So if the pass rush isn't good enough, I don't think this Ravens team's going to stink on ice by any means. They'll probably be in contention around the trade deadline and able to go get someone. Yeah, and I mean, breaking it down left to right, you got Ronnie Stanley, great. You got... Um uh cleveland at left guard a lot of people are thinking which we'll see what happens obviously third round rookie that might be a little bit tough but i feel like interior line is going to be an easier transition for a guy like that who does appear pro ready you got bradley bozeman moving to center it feels like a nice little move i mean obviously we're going to uh, get into it with one of the listener questions who think he's ma- thinks he's maybe league average that might be the case but that's better than what they've had at center the last couple of years right guard kevin zeitler great villanueva solid if nothing else so you got a lot of Steelers fans crapping on the guy and like his play the last couple of seasons. Well, he was at left tackle, you know, on a team that could not run the ball with Ben Roethlisberger back there, just kind of hanging on to it and doing whatever he was doing. And he was fine and their offense was good at times, but it just feels like he's set up to succeed a little bit more here in a lower pressure position with a good coaching staff around him and a good offense. Absolutely. One of the most tackle friendly offenses you can play in. Ravens have a 36% play action rate. The Steelers have like a 9.6, if I'm not mistaken. So almost four times the frequency. Uh, The amount of dropbacks is not going to be the same. There's not going to be as many true pass sets. And you have to think, you know, the Steelers were getting the ball out quickly and it felt like teams started to really creep up late in the season and try and play some five under type zone concepts and match concepts that force Ben to hold the ball. And things did not go well when Ben held the ball. He wasn't able to push the ball deep. So when you're a tackle that's trying to, to quick set or jump set and, and really get just in the way as quickly as possible and, and not worry about sustaining blocks, you might have a little bit of struggles. And is Villanueva a, a great run blocker? No, but the Ravens' run scheme is going to elevate those guys. You can go 
You know, the Ravens were, this is what Steelers fans don't understand and, and people that out, don't pay a ton of attention to the Ravens don't understand. They were platooning in-game over the course of about two months, even in the playoffs, Tyree Phillips and DJ Fluker. That is not normal. It doesn't happen. The reason you're, you might be doing that is as a coaching staff, you're doing your very best to basically go fastball, change up, fastball, change up, not letting edge rushers get a beat on a guy and how to continuously beat them with one move. I mean, DJ Fluker doesn't have very quick feet. Uh, Tyree Phillips doesn't have very quick feet. So you're hoping that they can give a little bit of a different look. And, and then you go get a guy that has tons of experience. He's going to be playing the the uh, the sight side, I guess, as opposed to the blind side where you've got Lamar Jackson able to see that way and, and read and react. And you got to think if with Villanueva having like 36-inch arms, even longer than Orlando Brown, he's going to be able to use that length and get guys to run the arc. And then that gives Lamar a little step-up lane where you've got Kevin Zeitler inside there, two experienced players next to each other. Bradley Bozeman has now spent uh, the three years in the Ravens offense, two years in, you know, somewhat of a starting capacity last year, definitely a full-time starter. So he's going to know the calls. He's going to know the offense. He's going to know, you know, the, the verbiage and the calls of the line, all that good stuff. And then of course, Ronnie Stanley, who we're expecting to return to a high level. Maybe there's a little bit of rust there, but it feels like a much more solid five man unit than the Ravens had last year. And then you talk about some rookies coming in, some playmakers on the outside, Sammy Watkins, Tylen Wallace, Rashad Bateman, uh, all those guys. This offense should be deep. It should be uh, pretty balanced overall. I think we've heard Greg Roman start to really make some comments that they're going to seek uh, a little bit more balance and get those dropbacks up just a little bit. And, uh, you know, the Ravens offense, despite what people think, runs the ball more than Roman did in Buffalo or in San Francisco. So I think he does truly seek a little bit more balance in that regard. But another veteran, I talked so much about that last year. Villanueva's got experience. Zeitler's got experience. A little bit older of an offense. Sammy Watkins coming in as well. So that makes you a little bit more comfortable. Guys who have played in some big games. Villanueva's won some division titles. Zeitler, uh, don't think has, if I'm not mistaken, but... Getting some some experience there as well. And is Villanueva going to be an improvement? Probably not. No, he's not going to be better than Orlando Brown. That would, you know, uh, be quite shocking. But he knows the division. He knows the Steelers. Uh, he, you know, you know what you're getting. And I think he gives you the ability to run some more zone concepts as well as integrate into that power and, and make it a little easy on him. So it's a signing that we saw coming for quite some time, it felt like. And the Ravens did the right thing. So finding a long-term answer next year, hopefully. Uh, it's it's not the line that we envisioned when, you know, Orlando Brown and Ronnie Stanley were really kicking ass in 2019, but it is what it is. And I think DaCosta did a great job getting this line up to snuff, making it a little more balanced out and adding some size, some strength, some mobility, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure how it shook out, but it kind of feels like they parlayed Orlando Brown, if not into OA, then into Ben Cleveland and Tylen Wallace, which, you know, I might honestly make that trade. Right, and then you, uh, you're you going to have to find a move down the road, but you knew that was coming anyway because Orlando Brown wasn't going to re-sign at left tackle. And yeah, so this line should be good to go. You've got all kinds of depth. Guys are going to be fighting to stay on the roster inside between McCary and Tristan Colon-Castillo, Ben Bredesen, and Ben Powers as well. So uh, those guys have some some action aside from Bredesen, and Colon-Castillo only got you know a little bit, but with Powers... And with McCary, they have a good bit of game experience now. So you're comfortable if, you know, God forbid you got to put them in the lineup and maybe Ben Powers does win that left guard spot. I don't 
think Bredesen will. I do think it will be Ben Cleveland ultimately, but uh, there's going to be a lot of experience there. You know what you're getting. You trust Villanueva a lot more than you trust DJ Fluker. Uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Maybe you do have one kind of shitty tackle and it is what it is, but you know, can't have everything perfect. The Chiefs did everything they could this year and they're going to have to be paying a pretty penny to Orlando Brown or letting him go after trading a little bit of draft capital away. And, uh, you know, the Ravens are, are continuing to move forward and it feels like Jake, you and I, you know, we said we want Lamar Jackson as close to a vacuum as you can get him with what was available, with what tackles they could afford. And uh, with the way this draft went, it feels like, you know, the receiver room is rounded out. The running back room is rounded out. The offensive line is deep and uh, has veterans on it now. Uh, they've got some options at tight end between maybe Oliver, maybe Ben Mason, then Nick Boyle, of course, and Mark Andrews. So overall, this offense just feels more complete than it ever has in this Lamar Jackson era. And that's really exciting. That's awesome. That's what we asked for and we received. So Eric DaCosta, you know, got it together and uh, I have nothing, nothing but praise for him right now. We've, we've questioned some stuff for sure. We were kind of pissed off by his smokescreen of the insulted comments and, and he definitely got our freaking necks with those, but uh, I know I'm happy. I know you're happy. And I think all of our listeners should be as well. Yeah, I give him credit after a very tumultuous offseason, like very tumultuous, like the Orlando Brown crap breaks. And it's like, what GM in the league has to deal with that shit? And like Orlando can do what he wants and it's fine. I wish him success, whatever. But like, it's just, it's kind of tough for him and his teammates. It seems like Ronnie Stanley might've been pissed off. And uh, I get it. It's, it's a lot of drama just on that front. Then you're striking out on these receivers, which may or may not have even been worth the money that you were offering because you were so desperate to just solve this problem and end the conversation. Kind of feels like, if one of Wallace or Bateman hits, and the way that I like them heading into this draft, I expect them both to hit to at least some degree. It seems like you solved that issue, and uh, you did what you could with Orlando Brown. You got some pretty good players out of that. You wind up with Villanueva anyway, so I give them a lot of credit for stabilizing the ship. And uh, yeah, I do feel pretty good about where they're at right now, and I give them credit for that. Absolutely. And you've got two receivers in, in Wallace and Bateman that can do some stuff downfield, man. And uh, that's what it feels like they've been missing a little bit. Some of that interior presence, you do have that with Mark Andrews already. And, uh, you know, that that inside-outside game where Wallace is comfortable taking shots over the middle of the field. Bateman's comfortable. You know, Wallace, a tough guy to bring down after the catch, as well as Bateman, another missing aspect. So all good stuff there. And then, you know, the finishing touch on this entire roster might just be that one veteran edge player to make sure they've got someone competent there. You, you of course, uh, like what you see from OA in some ways, and I've talked about him and his ability to defend the run that I like, but uh, you do have to be able to rush the passer. We have Emery Hunt on this episode who uh, is talking about, you know, he, he needs to be a closer, and the Ravens do need a closer. Tyus Bowser never had a ton of sack production. I don't think Pernell McPhee's ever had a ton of sack production. Uh, Calais Campbell, you know, has had a good bit over his career, especially for the position that he plays, but... They do lack that that sort of closer right now, but uh, sometimes those great quarterbacks, when they don't play with the Chiefs' Super Bowl offensive line, can kind of negate pressure anyway. So this Ravens defense does build back to front, and you like their secondary. You like the depth that they pick up. I knew Emery was going to be really high on Brandon Stevens. I just knew it. Uh, I still have not gotten to really dive into Brandon Stevens' tape ultimately, but Sean Wade as well, a guy that we didn't really end up mentioning, see what he can do in the nickel. And yeah, this, this team feels... A lot better as of today uh, than it appeared it would be at many times throughout this offseason. And that's on paper. And they've got the new coaching staff. You're curious to see what uh, Mr. T, or Mar or T. Martin as well as 
Mr. Keith Williams can do to, to ramp up this passing offense. They also had to replace a ton of staff and it's still COVID. It's still, you know, some COVID protocols. The OTAs guys are not really wanting to go. I think if I'm not mistaken, the Ravens did call out that they are not going to be doing OTAs in Baltimore. And uh, you do see Juwan James, the offensive tackle for the Broncos suffers a season ending injury. And now he's going to have his entire contract probably voided because the injury that he suffered was not at the Broncos facility and that might be a real eye-opener to guys around the league that maybe you should be doing it in-house, especially veterans who want to keep their finances uh, safe. And that is a different conversation if, of whether that's fair or not, but uh, that's that's the case right now. So interesting stuff coming up, and maybe the Ravens aren't done yet. Yep, definitely. Hopefully not. And uh, I'm not done either on the vaccine front. I got my second one coming in tomorrow. Pfizer number two on Cinco de Mayo. And I bring that up because the Ravens announced uh, in a letter to season ticket holders that they are expecting full capacity seating uh, in their games this coming fall. And you better believe I'll be vaxxed up as well. By the time that needs to happen, I like what the Buffalo Bills did, uh, basically saying, hey, nobody out of state unless uh, and then the people in state, you got to be vaxxed up and able to prove it a little bit. So I like that philosophy a lot. And I would encourage people to as well and get that over with. And maybe we can get this pandemic situation and return to normalcy, get the pandemic a little bit behind us. But uh, things feel calm on the Ravens front for the first time in a while. The draft is over. It's always kind of a relief and uh, seeing where the, the cards fall and the Ravens always get a ton of love that makes everybody feel great when you're, you're reading the draft grades and all the post-draft content, everybody always wants to give the Ravens credit because it does feel like year in and year out, they uh, do kind of sit there and and get some quality football players and guys that can make a difference. And it feels like even in that fourth round, in that third round with Cleveland and Wallace, you've got guys that can probably come in and play. Uh, Cleveland might be, you know, the most important piece of this rookie class if he ends up winning that starting job. He might be the guy who plays a 1,000 snaps as opposed to Bateman will be probably in a, in a you know, rotation situation uh i would think to some extent with watkins and with hollywood brown and knowing the ravens do like to run some heavier personnel so uh getting some value picks later and we like it we like it a lot and i guess uh that about does it for us here yeah yeah it certainly does appreciate you guys tuning in uh coming on friday we are not gonna have a traditional show it's gonna be an interview episode with myself and uh sean hubbard the ravens team photographer i think it's about 45 50 minutes uh, just kind of chat and photography, his uh, job with the Ravens, which I didn't realize this. He's been with them for 14 years at this point. So he's kind of always been there behind the scenes. But I think we've only really come to um, notice him over like social media and whatnot the last couple of years as his work was being promoted. So we incredible talk- photographer, man. He has some of the coolest shots. Yeah, he really is. Really, really cool guy. Had a ton of fun self-deprecating. So it was a really good chat with him. Uh, hope you guys enjoy that. So that is what is coming on Friday. After that, get into some more post-draft stuff, and then we have some uh, really exciting content coming this summer uh, on the horizon. Not quite ready to announce that yet, but uh, that's probably going to be coming June or so. Uh, So we got some really good stuff in the hopper, and I just wanted to say thanks to everyone real quick for tagging along in draft season and looking forward to what's coming next. Absolutely, especially those who participated in the Beatdown Big Board. We had a ton of fun doing that. Uh, That took a lot of time, a lot of effort from Jake and myself, and I think we had a ton of fun at the same time while we did put a lot of pressure on ourselves and did really kind of shoulder the show for a while. I think Emery was our first interview in quite some time, but we had a ton of fun uh, getting into the nitty gritty. We had a ton of fun on draft night, draft weekend, all that good stuff. I think we're still recovering from that, but uh, yeah. 
I, I, I had to like wean myself off of booze. I had to have like a Sunday night margarita. I, I had a full bender of a weekend. I went to Jake Funk's draft party. That was a mess. Everybody, all this nervous energy all day. And I think I like was getting a little nervous myself. And I think I crushed a cool like seven or eight Coronas at one point. And then it was, it was a mess. Went to a teacher party after that. And then all kinds of stuff. So it was, it was definitely rough, but here we got May, we got some warmth coming. Hopefully no more fake summer. Hopefully it's uh, no more, no more secret winter emergences. And I hope you guys are, are staying safe, getting vaxxed, getting out and about, spending some time outdoors and uh, enjoying the content that is to come. Jake's been working really hard on great evergreen content. So we're excited for that to drop as well. Make sure to go give us five stars, get at those reviews over uh, in the iTunes chart, share it with a friend. If you know somebody who likes the Ravens, especially if it's somebody who's kind of removed from Maryland, even though we do get into some Maryland nitty gritty on this and some local stuff. But uh, we like to think that we give some, some easy coverage to people who don't get the radio coverage and all the local stuff quite as easily. So send it to a friend. We appreciate it. We appreciate you guys and uh, make sure to show us some love after a tough draft season. We will show you guys love all the same as usual. Absolutely. And uh, you can find us on social media. Twitter is at Podcast Beatdown. You can find me at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. And uh, on Instagram as well at Baltimore underscore Beatdown plus YouTube at Baltimore Beatdown for full video episodes of the show as well as our streams whenever we decide to occasionally pop on there. So uh, appreciate you guys, like he said, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week after our interview show on Friday, which was already taped. See ya. Arrivederci. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Emery Hunt of the Football Game Plan. How's it going, man? Going fine, man. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Yeah, man, we always love having you on here. Uh, we It's turning into maybe a little bit of a tradition here. I know the uh, the first time we had you on was uh, maybe just before the season started, but uh, I know last year we got you on post-draft. You just hopped on with us here talking a little bit about uh, what that post-draft life is like for you. It sounds like you're uh, a little relieved, to be honest. It's a lot of work, man. And, you know, the, for me, jumping in the draft in January uh, through the draft is, you know, it's a it's a long process. Uh, mostly from January to February when we watch the film and, and grade and, and stuff like that. Um, and then afterwards, just kind of like waiting until to see where these guys land. You know, this year, covered the draft out there for CBS Sports HQ. Um, and, you know, doing live TV and stuff like that is, is cool and it's, it's active and it Keeps you on your toes. You know, there's a lot you deal with uh, while you're out there doing live hits. But uh, it's all fun now that it's done. And I usually wait about a good week and a half, two weeks before I put out my draft grades because I always include the undrafted free agents. And, you know, so the guys that are at rookie minicamp right now. It's like 35% of the league was undrafted. Exactly. So, to me, that's part of the draft grade. And it's also part of the draft strategy. I think what you're team. trying to do there is I think you're trying to avoid the takes that come out about draft grades right after the draft. Where everyone's like, oh, these are so pointless, you know. Listen, I don't care what people say. I don't put my draft grades out. People like draft <laughs> grades. People like lists. I don't care what people say. <laughs> no, like, those people are stupid. Always, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. The, like, no, 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 I know. I know people always want to make fun of draft grades, and yet those are the same ones that always read them. Same with mock drafts. You know, people hate course. mock drafts, but they constantly click on it. So, um, but it, it's always you, you grade these players, you you evaluate these players. So we're just not supposed to have a take on these players after you spent all that all time. Right, it's just done. It's just over. We'll talk to you guys next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so what you won't see is a 2022 mock draft for me, though. 
we need that full year. We need we need that junior tape, that senior tape, baby. The tape's not done yet. That's I, I don't like getting too far ahead of those either. I agree with you there for sure. But uh, you, so you, Emmer, you cover what FCS for ESPN as well. Do you just do? Do you live in South Jersey? Is that why you do Monmouth so frequently? No, I'm in North Jersey. Um, you know, I do Monmouth games. You'll see me do a lot of Morgan State games. You'll see me do a lot of games in the PSAC, which is in Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm all over. You'll see me constantly across you know, the Northeast. So I, I live in Northern Jersey. So Monmouth is just cool because it's a hop, skip, and a jump. Right. Uh, and, it, and it's super fun. You know, I enjoy doing all these games for all these different schools, which gives you kind of a head start on prospects. And it's just fun doing broadcasts. That's just, it's just awesome to do. You're like Tony Soprano. You run North Jersey. But uh, yeah, man, we wanted to get you on here because we love, uh, we love talking the post-draft stuff with you like we were talking about there. And you had your, uh, your videos coming out uh, over the last the course of the last week. You had your one come out on the uh, Ravens picks, and uh, it sounds like you were impressed with what they did. Yeah, I really was impressed with you know the Ravens top to bottom and, and how they attacked the draft. Them and Pittsburgh just kind of like I joked on on HQ. You know, it's just like I feel as though those teams just fill out their draft cards before the draft and just hand them in, and you know they're gonna always end up with those players anyway. So it's like they don't even have to bother with the stress of the draft because they just tend to take good football players while the league is scrambling, trying to find this athlete, you know, this athlete, this pro day guy, this pro day guy. So the Ravens and Steelers just seem just to pick guys that were good in football uh, at the collegiate level. And they just let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. And Odafe away is someone that I think a lot of people got a lot of hype out of that pro day and everything that he did. But at the same time, I think, Ravens outside linebacker coach Drew Wilkins talked about it. Just the way he hits the pads and the the violence that he's capable of with the way he plays the game. A lot of people called him uh, a really, you know, the the classic phrase, the the boomer bust or the low ceiling or the low floor, high ceiling kind of guy. But to me, I think that his ability to process against the run is really underrated. How do you feel about away there towards the end of the first round? That's the one pick, to be honest when you look at it on its surface, is not a Ravens-type pick because the Ravens look at production and it's hard to get past someone that has no sacks, you know? And that's tough for me, and that's, I know it's tough for Ozzie Newsom. Uh, so this is clearly not an Ozzie Newsom pick. However, if you're going to swing for the fences um, at positions with, you know, team-specific, I would rather the Ravens swing for edge rushers, and that's what they do. That's like, um, you know the Steelers at wide receiver. You kind of just take them at their word for it because they've been good at developing wide receivers. The Ravens seem to find and are able to develop and coach up these edge rushers. So, you know, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because, again, the the testing looks great. Uh, The production doesn't, but this is the Ravens. That's an outside edge rusher. Uh, That's a guy that has length, that has athleticism. I'm willing to bet that the Ravens will figure it out and have him productive within their scheme. Yeah, so speaking of not Ozzie Newsome, uh, two high-profile wide receivers, what do you think of those guys? <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting. You know, both guys are very similar in the sense that um, they have great hands and, you know, they're really good route runners. Uh, they get open. I think both are possession guys. I think Tylen Wallace is more of an upgrade to Willie Sneed. And I think Rashad Bateman is more of a, you know, it's funny. You want to see taller version of Tylen Wallace, but they are the same size. I was shocked about both their height and weight. I thought Rashad Bateman was 6'2", 205, 210. 
but he measured in at six feet one ninety. And I thought, I mean, not only did he measure in, but I'm not sure if you saw his press conference. He came out adamantly and said, "I am not six two. I don't know where anyone got that from. I'm six foot one ninety. So it was kind of kind of funny to see that. Minnesota University of Minnesota had you at six two two o five. So you are six two two o five based off the University of Minnesota's you know depth chart. Um, but it was funny to see you know him measure at that height and weight. When Tyler Wallace, every time you watch them, and just in passing, you're like, oh man, he's, you know, Mawson dudes. He's got to be 6'3, 225. And then you see him, he's like, man, he's six feet, 190. Wow, he's playing like a big dude. So I think they got two really good, solid possession guys. Um, and I think that's good. You know, they have guys that 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 have speed. You have Prochet, you have Duvernay, you got Hollywood Brown, but now you got some guys that that are solid possession guys with great hands. Um, and that's all you can ask for if you're Lamar Jackson. People that can catch football. You know, I don't care how fast you are, how far you can run down the field. Just catch first, and we will figure thing everything else after that. We'll figure that out. Absolutely. Hitting the mailbag from some of our listeners. We got Flory Raw Photo. I'm curious about Brandon Stevens. Do the Ravens need a clear free safety, or do you think he's someone who can fill that role over time? Emery, how do you feel about Brandon Stevens? And I'm going to go ahead. He's a guy that I watched zero film on out of this draft class. I was very unsure of, and I know that the czar will have uh, have my back and, and able to give me some information here. You know, I love that pick, you know, because dude was an outstanding tailback at UCLA. Transferred to SMU because he wanted to go all in uh, playing cornerback. And so naturally, the athleticism to turn and run and transition is there because of him playing running back. And then you factor in the fact that he played offense. Now you already know he has ball skills, so he's not afraid of the ball when it's in the air. So it gives you a guy that, you know, can match up and, and, and run with receivers, can transition well and, and go and play the ball at his highest point. That's a really good pick by Baltimore, and he's going to continue to grow as a defensive back. And I think that's something that, you know, people that are not familiar with his game or his backstory have to understand that that's a really good player. He's also not afraid to tackle. Uh, so some of the minute things of playing a position, he, he's still ironing out. But, you know, playing in Conference USA, where they throw the football a lot, I, I want people to go check out his game versus North Texas. You know, Jalen Darden is, is a guy that got drafted, a really good wide receiver. But North Texas runs up-tempo, and they work touchdown to check down the passing game. So you're going to get a workout if you're out there on the corners. And Stevens did a good job in that ball game and, and has upside. So he's an ath athletic guy, not afraid of the ball when, once it's in the air, and is still learning the position. And so where they took him, it makes a ton of sense. So I thought that was a really good underrated pick for Baltimore. For Lenza from Twitter asks, uh, he's got an undrafted free agent question. So they signed Ardarius Washington out of TCU. That was kind of a high-profile signing relatively for an undrafted guy. I'm sure you like him, but he asks which undrafted free agent that they've signed not named Washington is going to make the team. Well, I haven't been familiar with the uh, the undrafted free agent list yet for Baltimore, but Washington, you know, he was one of my – he was like my number one free safety. Um, so I'm a big fan of his. You know, the fact that this dude is a explosive in all directions, he plays faster than he tests. And I think he um, fell victim to what uh, Richard LeCount did. You know, Richard LeCount plays faster than he tests, and he ended up going late in the draft. But every time you look up, he got the ball in his hands, and he plays defense. That's the type of guy you want. Uh, but Washington is, you know, despite him, you know, being built, you know, 5'8", 175, he, you know, he's not playing like that. He's a, a aggressive guy. 
He's able to run up and, and lay a pop on, on ball carriers. He's instinctual um, and does a great job in playing in the alley. And, you know, he could be someone that that people may view as a, a Tavon Young type. You know, Young is a corner, but and Young is really good. Man, I like him coming out uh, Temple, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So maybe they view, you know, him in the same light as, as a guy like Young, maybe not a corner, but someone that you can line up in the slot and trust him in coverage, but also trust him, you know, in, in versus, you know, versus the run. So I think Washington ended up with Baltimore is typical because, again, that's a good football player. And for whatever reason, good football players seem to find their way to Baltimore. It's, it's uncanny how that happens. Especially with special teams value he's going to present and the processing he has. He's like a, a grandmaster chess player there at times for TCU uh, when you're watching the way he processes. Moving on, we got the real Noriega. Bradley Bozeman is a fan favorite in my opinion. I think he's just around average. I really hope that Ben Cleveland gets a shot at left guard and they kick Bozeman inside. How do you feel about big Ben Cleveland coming out of Georgia, the mountain of a man, Emory? Yeah, he, he fits the part. He looks the part, you know, and the fact that they drafted Bredesen last year, um, you know, kind of adds to the fact that they they are building depth behind their front line, front line starters. But Cleveland is is someone that's just dominant in the run game, you know. So you want to run, you, you're going to lean on uh, running behind him. You know, sometimes his hands get a little bit out of place, but for the most part, you know, when he locks on, he's driving you out, out the way, you know, his – Power step is is where it needs to be. You know, he really, you know, stymies a defensive player at the point of attack and is able to get movement. You know, he doesn't have any fat on his body, which is phenomenal for an offensive lineman because he just looks like he's built like Kevin Zeitler. Right, you know, Zeitler. right. If, if you see Zeitler up close, uh, Zeitler is built like, a, you know, a, a pro wrestler. Kind of top and heavy. What, you know, ben Cleveland is, you know. They, they're both built the same way. Um you which see, like, the muscularity on them a little bit. Like, there's there's no soft skin there. They're, they're big boys. Not at all. They are both big, muscular, athletic dudes. So, um, you know, Cleveland is someone that's – it just, again, <laughs> for Baltimore to end up with a guy like Cleveland, you know, how does that happen? And so, when, you know, we're in week nine and the Ravens are at, like, eight and one or something like that and they're leading the league and rushing and Cleveland is having success – and people are like, well, how do they get Cleveland? This like, well, that's just what the Ravens do, you know. And so, I like that pick and the fact that they didn't have to like reach for anybody, you know. They, again, they drafted Bredesen last year. Uh, they they have some good depth there, and, and so that's just another good solid pick for Baltimore. It's it was just fascinating watching Baltimore and Pittsburgh just run through the draft, just getting good players while everybody else is scrambling around and just. It is funny. It's become like my joy of, of draft weekend. Yeah, we enjoyed it too, for sure. Uh, and we got uh, our buddy John Evans on Twitter. Uh, a little more of a general one here. Most interesting draft prospect from this class not drafted in the first round and why? Michael Carter uh, from North Carolina. And you saw, oh, is he talking about Baltimore? Uh, just no. at any general. In general. Michael Carter. You know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, Michael Carter is my number two running back. So I think highly of Michael Carter. And even though he didn't go in the first round or second round, went in the fourth round, he landed in the spot where he's going to be the starter. In that offense, that's going to be based off what we saw in San Francisco. So let's say outside zone, zone read, all those good things. That's what they ran at, you know, at UNC. And this dude never got tackled. I don't ever recall seeing him getting tackled. Every time I saw him, you know, it was post-game, 
his his uniform is clean. You know, so that's because he got great elusiveness. And you're putting him in an offense like that with all that talent, that revamped offensive line, he may have over 1,200 yards as a rookie um, running the football. Again, a guy that doesn't need volume to get the job done. So I think him going in the fourth round to uh, the New York Jets was just a, a surprise. Considering that I thought for sure the Falcons were going to gonna take him uh, in the second round, considering how they, you know, was able to manipulate manipulate the draft in the first round. Um, I thought Miami was in position to take him. Miami still needs a running back. Uh, but, you know, him going to the Jets was huge. Very complete player for sure. You always see him dancing around the sideline, like you said, and, and the big contact never seems to find him. Uh, back to the Ravens, we got John C. Amos. The Ravens drafted some edge guys, but will any of them be able to give Baltimore the pass rush they need to beat Kansas City and teams like that? You know, it's, it, 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 it's still wait and see. I think what Baltimore needs to beat Kansas City is just better offensive play, you know, more consistent play. You're not going to stop Kansas City. You know, what we saw in the Super Bowl was an anomaly. You know, they had so many injuries up front. That won't happen often. Um, and Baltimore has been in position to beat Kansas City every time they've played them. And so they're not that far away. And pass rush is not going to – because Pat Mahomes has the arm strength and velocity to supersede pass rush. So, yeah, if you have guys on the outside that can get to the quarterback, it won't matter anyway because the ball coming out and it's going deep. Um, so I think Baltimore beefing up on the coverage side of things kind of helped them out. Um, and, again, offensively, if they just play better on offense – much more consistent. I think what happens with Baltimore when they play Kansas City, they want to beat them so bad that they uh, you know, tend to be a little bit tense and a little bit over-aggressive and over-eager on offense, and they get out of what they do well. If you notice in that game last year, they were able to have success in an opening series, and then they just kind of like, oh, we got to do this. We got to play their game, and then you just get out of – it gets out of hand. Um, so I think if they just play better offense, they'll beat Kansas City. Yeah, it's definitely like a little brother syndrome. You can kind of tell when they're going up against each other. And I think in the driveway, there's some tears running down the younger brother's face. A <laughs> yeah, little bit. not not speaking from personal experience at all. But uh, they're huffing and puffing and chest all poked out and, you know, ready to swing on, on, on somebody. You know, you got to be patient. It'll come. Uh, they have talent. Uh, you know, I just think it is not a defensive thing for Baltimore is more offense. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, I think it kind of these questions, the the next one kind of ties in because it talks about edge a little bit and it talks about Odafe Owe. And uh, he's got an interesting question here. So he prefaces it, I think, by saying that he thinks that Owe has a little bit of a lack of bend when he watches him. He thinks because he's a little more jacked up and a little more muscular, that makes him a little more stiff. I'm not totally sure if you would agree with that. But A, do you? And then he asks, do you think that bend is coachable? You know, that's a good question. I, I think um, he he has something to hit to it about being too muscular. Um, that leads to a lot of sprains and, and pulls. And, and, you know, if you're tightly wound. Those hammies uh, will start going. Yeah, and Herschel Walker uh, was known for, you know, being super muscular. I think he had like 1% body fat. He had to wear special shoulder pads so he wouldn't pull muscles in his shoulder or separate his shoulder because he was there was no fat. There was Everything was just tight. Uh, so it can be an issue being too tight. You saw this with quarterbacks that are too muscular. You can't be a quarterback when you're too muscular. Um, so there's something to that. As far as the bend is concerned, you know, that's just a natural thing for some people. Uh, and some people, because Alden Smith plays 6'9", right? 
you know, but he finds a way to the quarterback despite playing tall. So I, I think it's just a natural feel. That's just how he plays. And it's hard to change that uh, at this juncture of your career. You're in the pros. Um, it's not something like a technique thing. Uh, so that's just how he plays. That's just a natural running style for him. You know, you, you, you wouldn't tell a tall running back you have to get low. It's, at this point, it's kind of, you know, you just got to find a way to work around that. And so I think for Owe, the best thing for him is just to learn how to, you know, accelerate and close to the quarterback. You have length, use it. And I think that's the going that's going to be the coaching point with Baltimore. They're going to say, hey, you know, yeah, you you've gotten back there, finish the drill, you know, and they're going to work on him on how to finish and how to be, you know, a guy that can be a closer as opposed to being, you know, one of these pressures. You know, now nah, we need pressure sound like you just didn't get there. I need you to get the sack. And I think that's what they're going to work on him on, work with him on, you know, as far as like using that length to your advantage, how to play with better technique, teach him how to disengage faster. That way he can flatline and accelerate to the co- to the quarterback. Very well said. A disruptor, they like to say, instead of the, the, the closer, the finisher, the sack guy. Uh, then we got another one from Hector Drill. Could Boykin and Prochet be used as trade ship chips or do they see themselves on the way out? if those two rookies develop fast enough. Where do you think this Ravens depth chart at wide receiver sits, especially after that Tylen Wallace pick that really put a wrench into things? I'm, I'm a big fan of depth. So I wouldn't trade those guys. Prochet can still be a, a valuable special teams asset, uh, in my opinion. It can be a valuable slot player too. Um, you know, there's no downside to having that as many receivers. You see what's going on out in Arizona. They're getting all the receivers. You know, and I think Baltimore can do the same thing. I wouldn't be so quick to get rid of uh, those two guys. Boykin can still be a player uh, for him. Prochet and Duvernay, I, I like to lump them together because uh, they can be significant players, you know, as well. And now you've added more talent out there on the perimeter with those two guys. So I would keep everyone. You want to keep that rotation going. Um, just open up the offense more. Uh, we saw Lamar Jackson be a point-and-shoot quarterback at Louisville. Um, you know, but people just focus on his running ability because he's so dynamic in that regard. But they threw the football a lot at, at Louisville. They can do the same thing, you know, with Baltimore and, and, you know, really go single back, stay in the shotgun or stay in pistol and really just get away from two tight ends um, and go more three wide receiver sets uh, and, and have, you know, success there or even go quad, you know, if you want to. So they can still get what they want to get accomplished because you have the ultimate X factor at quarterback. So your run game is going to always be there because of him and how people defend him and how people have to, you know, align themselves up within the front seven. So your run game isn't going to be a problem. Uh, It's just the fact that you can't be conservative in that approach uh, because you can have all the talented players out there on the field and still, you know, handcuff yourself with your play calling and your formations. And, And if you don't allow that to, you know, you know, flourish and put all that pressure on Lamar, to throw when you need to throw, no quarterback could thrive in that situation. But if you allow him to get into that groove early, you can always lean on the run game because he is the run game. You know what I'm saying? So I would open up just throwing the ball first and then allowing him to get into that passing rhythm before you go into, you know, buck ball mode, we used to call it, where you just get, you know, nine tight ends out there in the fullback and try to, you know, run the ball for five minutes. So I, I think it's more of an approach uh, problem as opposed to personnel. So I wouldn't get rid of Boykin because he's talented. Prochet's talented. Uh, Duvernay's talented. I wouldn't really move any one of those guys until you see how, you know, this offense goes. But I would keep all those guys because you want depth and you want talented depth 
at that position. Especially if you're the Ravens, who've had some trouble with it the last couple of years. But uh, we got one from Stuart Shock. It's another kind of general league-wide one uh, going back to the draft. What player did you like going into the draft that you think ended up in the wrong place? Example, not a scheme fit or just a dumpster fire of an organization, he says so kindly. Um, it's a good I question. Like, I like that one. It is. Yeah, it's a real, that's a really good question. I, what fit didn't I like? Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a fit. It's just, a. I guess, Detroit taking Panay Sewell, you know, Um I look at Detroit and I see wide receiver questions and, you know, an opportunity to take a a really good wide receiver was there and you didn't, you took the lineman and I get it. Panesu is a really good player. Um, And, you know, they were jacked up. It's funny. They showed uh, the front office jacked up and I was like, oh man, they probably got Devonta Smith. Then they take Panesu. I was like, y'all got jacked up like that for Panesu. Like he don't score points. You know? (laughs) And so I just think that, I just think that, that right there was it was just you know it, it, again don't get me wrong I want Ola on Twitter you know you know coming after me but uh, that's a good pick you know it's a good pick but for Detroit that receiver depth chart was was rather paltry um, and they had a chance and to to be completely honest their quarterback depth chart is paltry too um, so they could have went an assortment of ways. But, you know, they, they got Panay Sewell, so he helped strengthen the offensive line. Um, but I just thought that pick right there was one that just, I, you know, you like the player, but the the fit was just kind of like, uh, and, you know, that's one, I, that's one um, that really just stuck out, you know, glaring to me as, all right, maybe that, I just don't know. You know, that was, I could even also say uh, Baltimore. When we look at Owe, juxtaposed to Joe Tryon. Someone that actually can get to the quarterback and someone that you actually have to like hope that he can do it. Tryon had the experience and coverage a little bit in those shallow spot drops as well that OA is going to have to learn. And you didn't see a ton of that at Penn State. We, so I uh, thought that was interesting too. We, we like the OA pick fine, I think, but we were both big Tryon guys. So Yeah, Tryon would have made the most sense uh, to me, um, you know, for, for Baltimore. You know, if maybe if Ozzy was drafting, very Judon like type player, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. And and so that, you know, that's just one that, you know, OA, I get it. Upside, you know, toolsy, traitsy, but man, production was right there and they bypassed production. Um, so that was another one that just really stood out. You know, is I wasn't the I kind of lumped OA, um, the guy from Texas aside, you know, all those guys are kind of one and the same, just kind of you know, bigger names than actually productive players. Um, so it's, it's, I'm interested to see as well how this turns out. Because again, they took Jalen Ferguson a couple of years ago, who you know was a sack master in college, and just hasn't really been that dynamic player uh, on defense. But I'm interested to see how they are able to get this thing right with Owe, because athletically, when you say four three, I expect you to be Freeney. You know, Freeney ran 4-3, and Freeney was disruptive as all you know what. Uh, so uh, I would say the Sewell pick and then Baltimore, just keep it local uh, with Owe. And the last thing we wanted to ask you about just before we get you out of here was how you felt about the rest of the AFC North, what they accomplished uh, this past week and their situations. Obviously, the Browns really trying to shore up their ability to cover, which was a glaring weakness. you got the Bengals. A lot of people were... Uh, I, I can tell how you feel about taking Chase over Sewell, obviously. 
uh, where they have a little bit different situation even. And then the Steelers, who you seem to be very high on as well. So what are your thoughts on those guys before we get you out of here? You know, I listen, for, for the Bengals, you know, I understand both sides. I understand the people that wanted them to take, you know, the offensive lineman. My top tackle is Christian Darisol, right? So I would have probably taken Darisol. However, if they went that route and took Chase, I love Chase. Chase is a phenomenal player. Uh, underrated rookie of the year candidate too. If you're going to take Chase, you in the second round, you take one of the better offensive linemen that's there. But the fact that they traded down a little bit and got Jackson Carmen, they blew it. Like, I thought last year was how you, how they played it, was how you're supposed to play it. You know, okay, we took Joe Burrow. Top of the second round, we got T. Higgins. Like, we got a two-for-one, right? Uh, like I told Browns fans back in 18, I was taking Saquon first and then Lamar at four, and we would have led the league in rushing for the next decade. Uh, so if you have a chance to get the two-for-one, you got to do it right. But I thought they mishandled the two-for-one. Um, but everywhere else, I thought they got some solid players. So I just thought they mishandled that opportunity. There's some really good offensive linemen um, at the top of the second round where they were picking, and they traded down and got themselves Jackson Carmen, who's okay, right? Um, Pittsburgh, you let Pittsburgh get Najee Harris and Pat Firemuth. So you essentially let Pittsburgh get Le'Veon Bell and Heath Miller all over again. And then you get Quincy Roche, like, like Roche that. was one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion, that fit in Pittsburgh. He has a little experience in coverage. He's got that that same kind of savvy that I thought Alex Highsmith had last year, and it was kind of that same thing again. Grew up uh, five minutes away from the Ravens facility, too. So felt like they could have maybe uh, taken a flyer there in uh, the sixth round or whatever it was. But, you know, who, who am I to say? It, it just it just was amazing to watch that happen. You know, um, Baltimore, I, I really did like their draft. I gave Baltimore, I believe, a B-plus on CBS. Um, as I get acclimated with who they sign as undrafted free agents, we'll see if that stands or if it goes a little higher. Um, and, you know, Cleveland, going into the draft, they didn't have many holes or spots on the roster. So I was like, this probably is a team that's going to be primed to, you know, if they have a target in the top 10 packing some picks and move up. But the fact that they were able to sit pat and, and get a, a lot of good players, I thought they did well too. You know, so the AFC North is going to be excellent. I thought Cleveland did a good job addressing the secondary. Um, and, you know, for me, it's it's the fact that they got Anthony Swartz, speedster, uh, probably going to be their fastest receiver, and also is a day one core special teamer. So all of, all of the teams in the in the division I thought did really well. You know, and I you know, I would say they they all got better. I just the only thing I didn't like was how Cincinnati mishandled the two for one. Like you had a great opportunity to do right by Joe Burrow. And yeah, we took your best receiver and then we doubled down and got, you know, someone like Liam Eichenberg or someone like Brady Christensen or something like that. Look at how the Panthers did the draft. You know, and they were just knocking out picks. Um the Jets were able to move up and get Vera Tucker. But, it, you know, I, I just thought that even like the Colts, how you bypass any offensive tackle, and, you know, at that, at that juncture in the first round to take someone that, that looks like he gets a lot of sacks but doesn't. You know, it just I just thought certain teams just blew it um, with, with a particular pick. And Cincinnati just didn't, I thought, handle the, the two-for-one properly. They had so much potential with, you know, and, and even interior guys you're not that mad at if they would have went that route a little more so, but they do need that depth. And, 
it's just too fresh for some people coming off that Joe Burrow knee injury. To it was, it was too obvious. And sometimes in football, whether it's in personnel or on the field, the low hanging fruit. That's just what you want to grab. You just want to take that easy route. Now, I did see, now, one of the undrafted freedoms I did see them pick up was Puka Williams, who I'm a big fan of, which is a great plug-and-play replacement for Gio Bernard. So, right. shout out to the Bengals for doing that because Puka is phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, it just, I mean, they really blew the two-for-one. They killed it last year doing it, um, but this past year, they, they just kind of, like, dropped the ball. Well, we like to hear about uh, Cincinnati blowing it, uh, just like we like to hear your voice uh, hopping on here with us uh, every now and then, buddy. We really appreciate you and your time, all the great info. Before we get you out of here, how about you plug yourself and uh, your stuff for the audience? Yeah, they could follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. They can also uh, pick up the draft guide, man, because, again, the NFL rosters are transient all throughout training camp and in the preseason and during the regular season. So when your team signs someone and you're like, well, who the hell is that? Best believe we got a scout report on them, and that's at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. Uh, and subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash football game plan. Our draft guide, uh, our draft grades, I'm sorry, will be out within a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, that way you can see our complete thoughts on what we think about the Ravens draft class when we finally close the book. Because again, the draft is not over. The undrafted free agents are still signing on rosters and still trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to, you know, find the best spot for them. And we always include them in the draft class. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate it so much, Emery. Thank you for coming on. And uh, we'll be hearing from you again soon. Make sure to follow the man. You will learn more from his pinky finger than you will from either of us talking about this sport. Thanks again, Emery. And it was a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you guys. Bye. Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.